Hi, I'm Arlene McIntyre, Creative Director at Ventura Design, and you're listening to Shut the Front Door, a lighthearted podcast that will bring you through the front door and into the homes of influential and interesting people. Home for me is one of the most important things in my life. My career has fortunately given me the opportunity to work closely with people and to help them create a home they will cherish forever. Today we are delighted to be joined on Shut the Front Door by the legend that is Professor Luke O'Neill. Luke is one of the world's most influential scientists, an immunologist and the chair of biochemistry at Trinity College. Luke has been a leading voice during the pandemic, both at home and abroad, sharing immense expert insight and positivity during this difficult time. In September of last year, he was named Science Communicator of the Year for his work during COVID-19 pandemic. I think we can all agree that he has been one of the few people that has kept us going over the last 12 months. Luke is also the author of three fantastic books, has a weekly slot on the Pat Kenny Show on News Talk, and has made contributions to many global media outlets during the pandemic, including Sky News, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. Luke, thank you so much for joining me today on Shut the Front Door. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adi. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I can't even begin to imagine how busy you are at the moment. Yes, every day, as we were just saying before we came on, every day brings a new set of challenges, I guess. But uh, such are the times we live in, mind you, I suppose. It, it, it's the story that never ends, it seems, isn't it? And it's funny. And I guess, I guess for a lay audience, they must be scratching their heads yeah. wondering what is going on, you know, because it does keep changing, doesn't it? It does. And I mean, the AstraZeneca was a huge curveball, no doubt, for you. Well, that was amazing on Sunday. Yeah, when we hear the Irish were not going to use that vaccine, my heart sank, to be honest, because Mm. I knew a lot about that vaccine. We know it's very safe and very efficacious. You know, it's been in 17 million people. And then we had this emerge, you know, so I think it's a bit unfortunate. I'm pretty confident it'll be reinstated, though. I think I think it should be fine, you know. Yes. And, and and what is it they're actually saying? Is it the AstraZeneca that they're worried is causing blood cuts or is it a side effect or what exactly yeah. is? I, I mean, it's good. And the one that's good, because whenever a new vaccine is rolled out, as we that's the phrase rolled out that we use all the bloody time, now, isn't it? So the rolling out of this vaccine, um, they watch for safety signals all the time. They're very careful, you know, mm-hmm. and then there were reports of blood clotting happening, you see. And then the Norwegians said there was four cases initially, one person died. Now, this is all good because you want to report any consequences. The EMA then, who are our key, our key governing body, if you will, they said, yeah, we look at that now and we get back to you, you know. And yes. then countries begin to stop using the vaccine. So I think it was premature. They should wait for the EMA to say what they make of it all, you know, and then decide what to do, you see. So it's just a little bit unfortunate. And I guess it's there's various reasons for this. It's there's vaccine caution. There's sort of a AstraZeneca, must be said, that didn't cover themselves in glory early on, you know. So so it's kind of understandable, but I think it's a mistake because this virus is extremely dangerous still, you know. The risk from the virus far uh, exceeds any risk from the vaccine. Yeah, it is. It's very, very scary. And of course, everyone just wants to get their get their lives back to normal. So it's just so twofolded, you know, the mental yeah. health and then the and then the fear of COVID and contacting it. And it's just dreadful. The whole it thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder that they even think about that already when they made the announcement, you know, because people mm-hmm. are absolutely in bits, you know, for all kinds of reasons. And now here's a vaccine being withdrawn. <laughs> And even worse, it's been in about 100,000 people in Ireland, you know, so I just think it was a little bit hasty, let's put it that way, you know, and they might regret it, you never know. Yeah, the panic, it ca- it has actually caused panic, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so what I'm going to do, I have loads of questions for you today, Luke, and I'd love to start with my first question uh, to you, which is, can you share your earliest memories of your childhood home with me, please? 
Good Lord, I wasn't expecting that one. That, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> my, my earliest memory was sitting in my grandmother's garden in Bray County, Wicklow, uh, with geraniums. I can still smell them. I think I was about three years of age. And I always mm-hmm. vividly remember the smell and the sun, you know. So there you have it. I reckon that's my first, my first memory, sitting on the grass. Yeah. And uh, what posters then did you have on your teenage walls? Oh, now, I'm glad you've asked me that. Mm-hmm. Loads of posters. Yeah, I was a big <laughs> man for the posters. You know, some people have no posters, right? But some have loads. Well, I had a whole wall of the Beatles because I'm a huge Beatles fan. Wow. So that was one big collage that I made myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I had an interesting one. I had, I had um, uh, when I was like eight years of age, one of my uncles gave me as a gift a collection of all the posters of the Olympic Games, you know, that we used to advertise them. Mm-hmm. So several of those pinned on the wall. Like I can still remember 1932 was Los Angeles, for instance, you know. So I had various posters from the Olympics. They, they were the two, two things out on the wall. Exciting. So at what point did you realize you wanted to be a scientist? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, when I was in school, I uh, I liked science, obviously, as a, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, I suppose. I was always re- reading science books and stuff. But no more than other things, I was interested in English literature and history as well, you know. But then I think a really inspirational teacher, inevitably many of us would say that when I was in fifth year in school in Presbury, we had a great biology teacher. His name was Fran Mooney. And he was really cool. He had kind of long hair, you know, and torn jeans. That, that, that appealed to me, you know. And then, and then he was a great teacher. He, I remember vividly, Arlene, <laughs> told me about this thing called DNA. And that really got me, you know. But having said that, it still took a few years to say to do it as a career, you know. That was in university when the, bit, the bug finally bit in my final year, actually, when I was doing a project on Crohn's disease, this inflammatory bowel disease. And that got me, you know. And I figured, oh, I'll, I'll be an immunologist because I want to understand more about that disease and maybe find out things that could be useful. So, so I guess like, like most of us, it was, it was a journey that builds up along the way. Yeah. And then tell me about your years studying in Trinity. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. So I, um, so I came in like 17 years of age. Can you believe it? In those days, oh. no transition year. I was mm-hmm. effectively a child. Uh, opened up the whole world, you know. <laughs> um, wow. Actually, classmate, yesterday I had a memory of it. So mm. when I was in first year way back then, they, the student union gave us a book about drugs, right? And mm-hmm. it was all what they were, the different types, warnings and guidance. And that was pretty radical back then, you know, that you would get that information. And I guess it was a very pragmatic response from the students. So the kids are going to be taking drugs. So we might as well inform them and try to help them. You know, that was, that was a real memory. But, but yeah. the big thing for me was um, as I began to get more into biochemistry then, say in third year, fourth year, the, the staff really inspired me. I think a lot of this as, you, as we all agree, is it's inspirational teachers that really make a difference to us in a sense. You know, why we choose what we do is often we're inspired by someone else, you know. And yeah. I was lucky then we had some fantastic uh, staff in Trinity, you know, really teaching us really well. And, and they really got me going then, you know, in terms of interest in the area. Wow, you're only 17, though, when you look back. It's it's, it's incredible, really. You're a baby, really. Yeah, and that wasn't uncommon. Remember, we, we all were 17, basically, because there was no, yeah. no... Many schools didn't do fourth year or transition year. It didn't it didn't exist, you know? Mm. So many of us were... All my contemporaries were 17, 18 years of age, so that was not unusual. And so you just lapped it up. You loved it. You loved every minute of it. Oh, I did. I, I think I was lucky. I, I did pick a subject I loved in the end, you know? And, and that bug really bit in second year, getting more into biology then. You know, I, I never, ever felt I was in the wrong degree, you know. Yes. And that's lucky in a way. I mean, because it's a bit random, isn't it? You pick things and you don't know when you're 17, 18 that's years old. That's so true. 
Yeah, that was my next question for you. Were you ever only ever interested in science? That's no, by question. no means. No, no. I mean, I mean, in school, my best subject was English literature. That was that was my favorite subject in school, mm-hmm. and I would have been top of the class in that more than in the sciences. You see, so I was like reading, and and that's come round now as a writer. It's, I've kind of rediscovered that interest, I suppose, in my okay. years. But no, that was that was you know, the English literature was a big thing, a big, big thrill. You know, I think that probably I was in that direction because what got to me about science was. It was sort of a irrefutable in a way, you know. So, so science would produce evidence for something, and that was it, you know. And that was the evidence. It was something that was intellectually satisfying, you know, mm-hmm. to learn the evidence for things. And and ultimately, I think that's what drew me to it. I, I've got a vivid memory actually in school, uh, in sixth year, doing an essay on the poet Keats. Now, I quite like Keats, you know, but I got really disillusioned. I said, "Why am I writing essay number five million on Keats every?" schoolboy and schoolgirl written an essay on Keats you know mm-hmm. and I realized oh science is different you can discover something new that nobody's seen before you know and that, that really got to me in university the fact that you could do research mm-hmm. really exciting you know and that, that really is what marked it out for me yeah and it is it's, it's science is truly phenomenal there's no question about it it's not for everyone I think you need a certain brain uh, of course to I, be able I, to take I, it all in I don't think so. I think we can all do it, you know. Yeah. And you see it in primary school kids. They all love science, you know. Yes. They love dinosaurs and astronomy and all that kind of thing, you know. That's true. Yeah, it could be the way it's taught. Mightn't be the best, and it is. It does take effort, you know. And you do need to be sort of numerate and stuff, maybe. But then I think, now to be honest, I think everybody has the capacity to to do science and understand it. No different to other things. Wow. And what made you decide to get into immunology specifically? Yeah, well, as I say, when I was in my final year, like most students, you do a final year project and you really dig deep into, you do a dissertation or, or a deeper deeper dive on something, you know. And I worked on Crohn's disease and, and that's an inflammatory disease of the bowel. And I learned about the immune system and I learned about the different parts of the immune system. And what really got me was I, I became pretty clear that we needed to understand a lot more to get new treatments for that kind of disease. So research was needed. And then when I realized you could be a research scientist and go into a lab, you know, and and actually make discoveries, um, that was really it for me. And then I went to London for my PhD. Mm -hmm. I went to a very famous uh, inflammation research center. And then that really then won me over, I suppose. And it was a case then of, 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 of making discoveries. I guess in my PhD, I might have made one or two quite minor discoveries. And then I was off. You know, because then, then you've done it in the sense that you've done the key thing you're trying to do. And then I was I was hooked for the rest for the rest of the rest of my career. Then really. Absolutely. I mean, um, what does all of this newfound fame feel like for you over the past year? Well, you see, you say that, but I'm not aware of it. <laughs> I am kind of. But I mean, you know, I mean, people do recognize me in the street now. He's a bit unnervy, you know. But luckily, you're in a lockdown. There's nobody out much. You see, so <laughs> <laughs> you're our new hero. And you can't go to the pub because it's closed, you know. So there aren't too many opportunities to, uh, yeah. to, to to be to be to be approached by people. I guess the big the big difference has been the endless emails and and stuff. Because, but again, it doesn't bother me. And people are just so hungry for information, you know, and they're worried. Yes, yes, it's yeah. A real privilege, actually, to be asked and then to try and provide. I answer every single email. You know, best often it's a one liner, but uh, but no, I, th- I think um, the main thing for me would be just just to keep on the science and, and keep focused yes. on what science is trying to deliver here, you know. Yes, 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 exactly. And um, have you been media trained or, or does just being a good communicator come naturally to you? Well, no, I have no training, no. I mean, it, it begins, remember, trying to teach a bunch of 18-year-olds biology. <laughs> you try that. Okay? You wow. <laughs> and and, and that's, that's kind of when it began for me in a way, teaching in Trinity, because I had mm-hmm. to teach at the lecture, you know. 
And I must have had a facility for it because I quite enjoyed it, you know. And yes. then remember, as a scientist, you have to communicate all the time. They are communicating with fellow scientists. So it's a bit different. But the same skills apply, make it interesting, you know, have good slides, whatever it might be, illustrate your point in various ways to get their attention, this kind of thing, you know. So really yes. it's part of what we do. You know, there's nothing, nothing unusual in it for scientists to be communicators. I guess the add-on is trying to convey it in a way that people understand, but it's quite complicated, you know. Yeah. And again, I had that with Pat Kenny. I've been on News Talk since 2012, you see. So, so again, I had that background from doing it for all those years, I suppose. Yes, and I love listening to yourself and Pat together. Um, you well, you really joy. have some pretty interesting discussions, yeah. The joy, because he's got quite a scientific background himself. He does, he it does. It easier, so it's an easy conversation with him then. We mm-hmm. think, think the same way, so that makes it easy. Yeah. Um, when all of this first emerged, Luke, on the news, what was your first reaction? Well, I mean, it goes back for me now to January 6th. I remember vividly, right? Mm -hmm. I picked up a science magazine and I saw a single paragraph on a new virus emerging in China. You know, and I remember vividly reading that going, that's interesting, you see. And then in the third week in January, we had a big conference in Rotterdam, actually, on viruses and the immune system, you see. Mm -hmm. And there was a SARS expert there. And he says to me, this doesn't look good. I said, oh, God, you know, mm. tell me more kind of thing. You know, from that moment on, then, it was a precipitous decline, really, wasn't it? You know, almost day by day, then the, the news got worse and worse for us. And and we didn't see it coming. At worst, we thought it would be like SARS, because it's a similar virus, you know. Now, SARS was containable. Like a few thousand people tragically died, of course, but they could put the fire out quickly with SARS, you know. And our assumption was it would be like that, you see. Yes. And of course, we learned pretty quickly it's not like that. It's much more severe in terms of spread. I mean, the, the key feature that this virus has, the single most malign feature, is it spreads from people with no symptoms. And that, and that single sentence describes how, how difficult it's been, because that means you couldn't isolate people too easily unless you isolate everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Where SARS, there was only symptoms that were spreading it, you know. And if that person felt sick, they would stay home or go to hospital or whatever. With this, three or four days walking around with no symptoms spreading it, you know. So Terrifying. Absolutely. A more, a more um, effective virus in many ways. Yes. I mean, everyone was clicking on to Contagion. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, um, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it just it exploded, really, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've always remained so positive, though, during the pandemic and instilled like loads of hope in people with every interview you give. Like, what's the most important thing to you when you're when you know what you're you're obviously very aware of your audience and that they're listening to you and and they're using you as the one source, if you like, of information on what's really happening. Do you feel a great sense of responsibility with that? Not really. I mean, it, 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 that's got more apparent lately, I'd say, I mean, really, but not, not in the first phase of this, because all I was doing was my job in a way. I mean, you know, p- people say, oh, you're very positive, but that's the way scientists are, remember? I, I didn't see anything unusual in that. Like, it wasn't put on in any way, because yes. I knew science would deliver. That was always the thing. Now, it, it did become clear to me as the months began to go by with the level of anxiety out there, mm. you should always try and give, give the rough with the smooth here kind of thing, or, or maybe the smooth with the rough, because people are in such stress about it. You know, so I did make a conscious effort to try to look at the positive aspect of what I was saying. You know, yes, there's always there's always a way out in science. I mean, there might be a, a crisis; it might be very worrying, but science is at its best and looking for solutions. You see, so so mm-hmm. I'd be inclined to emphasize. 
you know, the what scientists are doing in this area to address this painful thing, you know, and mm-hmm. that became into my mind a bit. But uh, but again, I, I was always a bit that way inclined. I mean, scientists are inclined to be glass half full people because the experiments are often failing, remember. So you got to go back up on the horse again, you know, otherwise you give up. Mm-hmm. So that's part of our part of our thing, I suppose. And then the other thing was, but more lately, people are even more anxious now with the vaccines, obviously. So yes. I do know I've got to be a bit more measured in my statements to some extent because I don't want to make things worse for people. I mean, I, I would already—I always felt that I would stop doing it if it was being counterproductive. I'd stop immediately, you know. Yeah. Because what's no. the point? I shouldn't be. The only reason I'm doing it is to try to inform people and help them. So if that became a negative. Uh, I wouldn't be doing it, you know, because that goes against the whole reason why I'm doing it in the first place, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And and when when um, did you think we'd be in a, a lockdown a year later? No, I didn't, and I, I was. We were, we we're all a bit surprised by that because I thought by the autumn we'd be in a much better place, uh, and simply because we knew quarantine could work if it was deployed effectively, because you've got a virus that lives in your body for two weeks and then it goes, you clear it, you know. So if everybody yes. was locked up for two weeks, it would have gone away. Uh, and that's what China did, obviously. But 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 given human nature, it wasn't possible to achieve that really because people get fed up with being, you know, locked down and so on. So, but I, I I did think we might beat it by the autumn, and then I thought we would have therapies by then. I didn't think we'd have a vaccine. That, that was the big surprise that the vaccine came as quickly as it did. But I thought we'd have good therapies to treat it, which we do have these antibody-based therapies. So, so that was the vista I was looking at, and then things might have been somewhat normal by the autumn but then as we know it just took off again and and then the second thing that was a, the asymptomatic spread was the, the, the most maligned feature but secondly how contagious it is that, that only became clear as as the months went by you know and then these super spreading events became obvious you see so that just made the battle much more difficult to win you know absolutely and why do you think we've like so spectacularly failed in the eu with the distribution of the vaccine well, it is the most disturbing part of the story now, let's face it. I mean, mm. and it's complicated enough, I suppose. I mean, I mean, one reason is there's a finite supply with these companies anyway. And the EU has got enough on order. So now it's a question of the companies delivering the vaccine to the EU. And, and we've seen these various delays and glitches, I guess. It's a bit of a mystery to me why that's happening, you see. And of course, from an Irish point of view, mission one for the government should be to get the vaccine into as many arms as possible. And it should do it in, in, in the most effective way that it can. It should, it, it, everything else should be secondary in a way because it is the way out. No question, you see. So if I was the government, I'd be looking at deals with the Russians and the Chinese for a start, you know. Yes. Outside the EU, I'd be using clever clever mechanisms to get more vaccine in. But uh, it's it's a running sore, I mean, I'd say, at this stage. I mean, they, they need to get a grip of this in the EU, you know. Yeah. So the latest yes. development doesn't help us at all. You know, I know that's mm. a really poor development, really. And, and you can you can blame people, but it, it's partly bureaucracy. It's partly 27 countries trying to act together with all these different opinions, you know. So, so it's a difficult one, you know. Yeah, it's obviously super duper complicated and it's not an easy argument. Which, uh, but like Irish airports are, I just don't think uh, many people don't believe that they're being properly, strongly enough regulated. Yeah, that's another one that's disturbing for definite. Yeah. And then the other one is we didn't get the testing right, you know. But yeah. having said all that, I mean, remember now again, this is a classic O'Neill response coming up. Uh, we haven't done that bad in Ireland in, in, uh, compared to other European countries. We have saved lots of people's lives in this country. We should be proud of that fact, yes. you know. Yes. I think we're in the top third in the league table for performance in terms of protecting our people, you know, and that's something to be proud of. And, and it is our people who've done that because the people have, have, have tried to observe it. And I know there's many 
you know, transgressions here and there, of course. But uh, but by and large, people have played a blinder, in my opinion, with this, trying to cope with this this horrible lockdown that we're in now. You know, so it's something to be proud of. Yeah, definitely. But wh- why do you think Ireland, in particular, with with their small population, has struggled most? I, th- I think I think it's a couple of reasons. One is pe- Irish people actually are quite decent in, in their core, you know, mm. on average. And they, they've stepped up, basically, to, to look after each other in the ways that they've been asked to, you know. And that, that's one thing. Yes. Something about that, about Irish people. That's true. And we've seen decency in Ireland before with many things, like the marriage referendum was a great example of that, in my opinion. You know, that was just a basic human decency thing in the end, you know. Oh, one overall the people who are against it so so that's evidence we have evidence of Irish people being pretty decent uh, we're also lucky in that we, we're, we are on the edge of Europe we're not Belgium I mean Belgium suffered terribly because of the massive traffic through Belgium so our, our semi-isolated state not 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 to withstanding the travel issues that we just mentioned mm-hmm. um, gave us cut us a bit of slack as well you know so so they're probably the two main reasons we've done well and what's your view on Sweden I mean, they've had no lockdown to date in their overall picture. Their, their death rate has been quite similar to Ireland's. It's well, interesting. Well, it's interesting. I think I think in the end, Sweden's like the rest everybody else in a sense. You know, now they could have saved a lot more lives. You, you can't compare it to Ireland. You've got to compare it to other Scandinavian countries. If, if you're a scientist, you limit the variables, that is the way to put it, you know. There's mm-hmm. many differences to Sweden and Ireland. They're much more single household driven, the Swedes, for instance. They socialise less, you know. So, But but you would compare it to Finland and they performed atrociously compared to other Scandinavian countries. Mm-hmm. And they know it, you know. I mean, the death rate is, is much higher than, say, Denmark or Finland or Norway, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's because they didn't lock down. They didn't, they didn't protect their people. And the evidence for that's pretty clear. Early on, of course, they were held up for the anti-lockdown brigade. Oh, look what Sweden's doing, you know. But the fact is that was far too simplistic an analysis. Yeah. And what are your views about people who don't want to get vaccinated? Well, it's a choice. You know, I think it'd be a big mistake to mandate vaccination. It is a human right to choose not to do something like that, you know. Uh, and all you can do is try to lay out the evidence. Now, now I can see a situation though where there's vaccine certificates issued. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will happen. The EU have said that. So what do we do in that situation? You shouldn't be excluding people from basic human right things like shops and so on, right? But you might say you can't get on that aeroplane unless you're vaccinated. And it's not for you, it's to protect others, you see. So that may come in, but it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think it's a there will be a debate about how to how to handle the vaccine situation in terms of those who won't be vaccinated and are refusing it, you see. All you can do, Arlene, is lay out the case for them. Yes. And hopefully, hopefully they take it. And some will and some won't, you know? Yes. Um, we know someone that was on an airplane yesterday going to Italy and um, there was someone removed from the airplane because this person was not wearing a mask. Yeah. Oh, good Lord, there you have it now. You see, mm-hmm. that, that, that will happen because you are trying to protect others by someone's behaviour, remember, being inappropriate. It's no different than getting the gun out. Not quite, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> that person gets taken off a plane as well because they're endangering others, you know. But so. it was interesting, though, that it wasn't the airport that, that took the person off the airplane. It was the, it ah. was, uh, the airline. The airline. Well, they, they see they've got statutory obligations for their, 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 their mm-hmm. customers as well, you know. They've got it shouldn't be... have really come to that, though, you know, when you think that's about what it. what you mean, yeah. yeah it should have, have happened before they got on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a real you know can of worms yeah yeah no it is a can of worms yes these are very difficult questions yeah aren't they yeah you see you see all all these issues go away once we get widespread vaccination Mm. that's why that was always going to be the answer to deal with these very complicated fraught controversial things you know yes i've always felt science will sweep away all that 
worry and controversy and, and fighting, you know, and bickering yes. and all that kind of thing, you know. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that's still the case, by the way, that, that will, science will do that. Watch. Uh, and this is a question, a silly question maybe for you, but can you get COVID after you've been vaccinated? No, well, I mean, there will be a low level of that. Some vaccines fail in people for various reasons, you know. Yes. And it's because your health status isn't great and there's a number of reasons why these things can happen. But we know from the vaccination trials that these are gangbuster vaccines, the best ever made in some ways, you know. So you would expect the vast majority to be protected by far, you know. And again, mm-hmm. the data in Israel absolutely is, is bearing that out, you know. Because mm. we're a massive drop in the death rate, or a massive drop in case numbers, mm-hmm. massive drop in hospitalization. That can only be explained by vaccination. Yeah, because they've got, they've got an unvaccinated group where those things aren't going down, you know. Yeah, so, interesting. So again, it's proving it's proving the clinical trial basically. Now, when you're in the real world, you see there's more unknowns, you know. Mm. Trials trials are more controlled for all kinds of reasons. So that was the next step in the process. We're waiting to see if the efficacy in the trial is borne out in the real world, and indeed it is almost identical, you know. And that just tells us how powerful those vaccines are. Yeah, incredible. And Israel, apart from Israel, uh, what other countries do you think have handled this or their whole situation better than others? Well, the, the UK are interesting because they made a hames of the initial phase of this. They and sure the did. Death rates in the world, the UK. Mm. I, mean, I think they're third in the world for the death rate. And, and that, that's a cause for hanging your head in shame, you see. Now, on the other hand, they are now back in action because of the vaccination campaign. Yes. And they got that right. And remember, the UK has some of the best scientists in the world. So they were all devastated by the government's policy response to this pandemic as well, remember. But those scientists have now delivered. You know, they've stepped up and uh, made sure that the way out of this is through science, both through vaccination and therapies. Because remember, people often forget that there's also a great advance in therapies in hospitals. They have had the death rate death rate in many of these places, you know, just yes. since medical interventions of various kinds. And the UK have led that. Mm-hmm. Now, apart from that, though, you know the other countries like South Korea, it, it, it was straightforward in a way for them. They got in early with massive testing. If it goes on too long, testing can't solve this because it's, it's too rampant. You know, mm-hmm. there's other examples of countries that responded very quickly to this and did extremely. In New Zealand, another example by cutting off their borders. You know, they're all great responses. I think the ultimate metric here is, is how many people you've saved in your country. That, that's the ultimate metric. Yes, 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 I yes. These countries have done very well. You know. Yeah, true. And I'm not an expert at all, but it just seems like the general death rate is 90% over the age of, say, 84, 85 years of yeah. age. Yeah. So what, what, would that mean that once everyone over 75 is vaccinated, that the death rate will move closer towards zero? Precisely. That, that's the next milestone, right? So in okay. other words, you will once you, you can and it was easy to predict that and the modelers as we call them they're the ones who predict things they were predicting that probably four or five months ago now i guess and they there was a great prediction in the uk if they if they vaccinate the top four priority groups the death rate drops by 90 percent automatically by that you see mm-hmm. and that's what's happening the death rate is because you don't need to be a mathematician to figure it out if you know as you correctly say i think 99 percent of deaths are in the over 65 so so if, if you vaccinate that group of course that death rate will fall hugely you see and that's exactly yes. gosh i i remembered I, I think i heard you recently saying that if there is an overflow of any any vaccines in this north of ireland we just need to get it to the south snap it up, snap it up immediately definitely that, that, that should never be about politics or, or opinion, really. It's just, mm. It should just be about prag- pragmatism, you see. And then we know that these vaccines will do that here, you know. So so that, that's the way to think of this. And then remember, the big effect that has is very simple. It gets rid of fear. 
Now, what I mean by that is fear in all of us as, 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 as members of this society, but also the government can be less fearful. And that means you can open up again slowly. Now, we will take baby steps, of course. You wouldn't want to go too fast until everybody's vaccinated. You'd be foolish to yes. expose the risk in, in, in this last phase of this pandemic. So, so once the fear begins to go away, that changes everything for everybody. So what else do we need to watch out for, Luke? Well, the big thing is these new variants. That's another example of a, of, a, of a thing we don't want, you know. So there are these variants. There's three of them, as, as we all know by now. The South African, they're given, they're given country names inappropriately, it must be said, but that's the simple way to remember them. So South Africa, Brazil, and UK variants. I mean, it, it, they aren't that big of a worry at the moment because we do know the vaccines work to some extent against them. We know the vaccines will certainly prevent severe disease from them. Mm-hmm. It might stop you catching them and having a few symptoms. But all vaccines, the mission of all vaccines is not to stop you getting sniffles, remember. It's to stop you ending up in hospital and having severe disease. Mm. And that's what these vaccines do. So, so we are somewhat confident that the vaccines will work against the variants. Um, but then we're not fully sure, you know. And then secondly, there may be extra variants coming. If we don't vaccinate the developing world, that's, that's the really important thing to do next, because that, or even right now we should be doing it, because new variants might crop up where the virus is running amok, you know. So those are the things to keep thinking about, to, to watch out for new variants and secondly, vaccinate the developing world. They're, they're the two big things we need to watch in the next few months. And do you see us jetting off in our flip-flop soon? I do. I do. Well, now, really? let's have a few caveats. I mean, I think <laughs> one, 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 one likely scenario is, now, Europe... Let's hope the vaccine campaign works in Europe. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. And we get a good level of vaccination in these vulnerable groups. Let's say by June. Let, let, let's put that month on it. And the UK are certainly going to be there by June. Now, what that means is the death rate and rate of hospitalizations and severe disease has now gone down almost to the level of any other infection. So that's that dealt with now through vaccination, right? And then if the counts of the virus in the community are low, you can now designate European countries in, in green zones and allow travel between them. And you will have some kind of vaccine certificate that's more than likely going to allow you to travel and probably antigen testing before you go when you arrive. That's the protocol that will be introduced to watch. And then you can go to any of these green countries. So, so that, that's wow. not flip-flop wearing in Spain. Of course, you can try and wear your flip-flops in County Kerry if you like. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you know I, mean? I, I think that's the direction we're headed in. And remember, I mean, we have to have this plan ahead of us. Yeah, and, and what I'm looking for all the time is tell us what the plan is because we've all been cooped up for months. We're all sick to death of it, you know. Um, so we need, and that plan what I've given you there is 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 there. I mean, we're going to see that articulated more and more. Watching the coming months, is there a global plan put in place? Do you think there's anything really in in the pipework that that's going to frame this? You know, from happening again in the future. You know, we're better equipped for it. Oh, definitely. Well. You'd hope so, wouldn't you, for crying out loud. If we yeah. haven't learned from this, we learn from nothing, given the trauma, you know? Mm-hmm. So well, there's no doubt that WHO are all over that, you know? I mean, I mean, the good the, the good news from this is we'll be ready for the next one because, and that's that's the experience in Asia, remember? I mean, those countries responded extremely well because they'd had SARS and MERS, you see. So they were ready with their masks. They were ready with all the... Uh, the, the testing and everything was in place, you know, so that was great. So you'd hope that if there is another one, and let's, let's not go that far and drive us to mental yeah, as well. Totally, um, totally. But, but, but no, we should be able to respond more quickly. The other sign is we can make a vaccine very quickly now with the same technology that's working against this one, you see. So it's another mm-hmm. sign that we, we, we get on top of things much more quickly through a new vaccine campaign, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Luke, if you had to design a response to the pandemic and with the benefit of hindsight and all that stuff, if you were asked to construct a response to the pandemic as a lab experiment, 
Okay. Yeah. What would you do different or the same? Well, if it was, but well, a good way to put that now is if, let's say we get rid of this one. If I can rephrase the question, let's say we get rid of this one and a new one starts. What we okay. do? Right? Mm-hmm. So what we would do is we would immediately protect the vulnerable. <laughs> That's the first thing. Mm. If it's the same, the trouble is it could be a different virus with different properties. Like what if the next virus infects young people and causes them to get really sick? That'd be horrible, you know. But, oh but if it's the same as this one, protect the vulnerable first and foremost, absolutely from day one. Yeah. Sadly, lock lock them all up. I know it sounds very very dismissive of them, and we we huge sympathy yeah. for them, but. You would protect them very quickly. That's the first thing, right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, get the test trace system mobilized very quickly, contact tracing really aggressively to put all the fires out as soon as they start through contact tracing. That's the second thing you'd implement very, very quickly. Of course, you'd mandate the mask wearing and the hand washing quickly as well, you know, and the distancing. You see, obviously, those things would be remind people of all that kind of thing as well, you know, and then get going on the vaccine. That, 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 that's the protocol if it comes around next time, you know. So and what, what we missed, uh, missed the first time was the rapid testing didn't happen quickly enough. That was Yes. Um, and then the second thing that we did miss was we didn't protect some of those nursing homes, you know. Yes. Or, you know, PPE, I think, was just PPE, a total, yeah, total exactly. disaster. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Uh, yeah, that, that would have that, really that. helped. Because there was a real debate on if you needed a mask, if you didn't need a mask. Yeah. I remember all this unfolding in February, and my husband had been away on business in um, Bergamo, you know, the yeah. epicenter of it all, really, at the time. Yeah. And they kind of heard a bit about it on the news when they were there, but they, di- they really didn't think much about it. Right. I came back on the plane and it was actually the next morning when he flew back that night, I turned on Sky News. I normally would in the morning if I was making coffee, just have the news in the background. And I heard yeah. heard about this in Bergamon. I was like, did you hear about it, about yeah. this virus? And he said, yeah. no. And literally like, you know, hour by hour, it just snowballed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, it was just unbelievable. And then it was, should we wear a mask? Should we wear a mask? Yeah. You're okay with no. that one? No, you really need one. It was just so confusing. That went on for a good few weeks. Now, I was a massive mask advocate early on, early enough. I wrote a big thing in the Sunday Independent quite mm-hmm. early saying, look, I'd I read remember. Well, I'd read the evidence myself, you see, because as a scientist, that's what you do. You look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. And I read some very big papers on this. Because remember, that science wasn't clear until, until they began really looking for evidence in a sense, you know. So back in February, I would have said no. There's no need because the evidence wasn't there, you know. But then they got the evidence. By the end of March, it was crystal clear to all of us scientists yeah. that this was the thing to do, you know. Yeah, I remember the conversations on the radio. It was like the the St. Patrick's Day parade was like yeah. the biggest thing ever to cancel at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all little did we know, <laughs> you know, that that would just be such a small thing, yeah, the bigger yeah. scale of things. So, look, can I ask you a question? Why has Ireland's construction industry closed? during the pandemic when other countries consider construction essential? Well, that's a great question as well. I mean, I, mean, I suppose they, it's really, it was, I think what happened was the schools and the construction sites were treated the same. They decided to bunch them into one category in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. They decided if they closed both of them, that would help the situation. Uh, but you're right, though. I mean, one big question we have overall is what's the basis for these decisions? Mm-hmm. And if you're a scientist, you should say, show me the evidence, really, you know, as to what is behind the decision. And they didn't do that enough, in my opinion, you know, because that, that, that's certainly one way to bring the people with you, is to show the evidence. Now, as I say, we have behaved in a great way, but but yeah, that, that, there's no evidence of construction sites being sources of infection. So you're right. It's a very it's, strange it, it is nuts. I, I, I was in a petrol station this morning, um, putting uh, diesel into my Jeep, and I am not exaggerating, and it's not the first time I've noticed this, that the petrol station was packed. 
Yeah. There was no one regulating it. There was people yeah. from all over Ireland, different yeah. ledges outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was absolutely bananas inside this petrol station around, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. And I, I've, I've often seen that. Yes, they're so strict and, and clamping down on numbers attending funerals. And I just think it's yeah. so yeah. unfair. Yeah. Why, yeah. Are they, why are they not regulating petrol stations? I mean, they're, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. they're just fly traps. There could be a level of pragmatism going on in the sense that uh, we can't control everything. Let's control what we can control and hope for the best wing in a prayer type territory to some extent, which is not great either, is it? No. You know, we, know, we know now so much about the virus, Sorry, I mean, the huge yes. knowledge of where this spreads. And it's mainly super spreader events. Did you know 20% of people are responsible for 80% of the spread of it? Mm-hmm. So that, that's an interesting fact. And it happens indoors. Interesting. In closed spaces with no ventilation for a protracted period. That's the main way we spread it from person to person. Wow. Like the evidence that's caught off surfaces is almost gone now. There's hardly any evidence for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that might give rise to a change in guidelines in terms of not only to washing all the surfaces. And in fact, we may not even need to wash our hands as much because if it's not caught off a surface, there's no reason to keep your hands as clean as we did. You know, that, that hasn't happened yet. But the science is moving in that direction, you know? Yes. And what vaccine would you like to receive yourself? With? Any one of them. <laughs> any one of them even the Chinese and the Russian ones you'll take whatever's coming yeah and I'll tell you why because they all protect by 100% against severe disease and death yes. so that's why I take any of them yes 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 and, I, and, and do you appreciate the balance between fighting COVID-19 medically and mental health of the population and the whole balance oh, centrally important for the yes. whole thing. I mean, that, and that's something they were counterbalancing often as well you know because yeah. That, that, that's a le- we live with that for years, I mean, the mental health mm, consequences of this for disease. For sure. So it's got to, and that's why on the 5th of April, uh, they should begin to relax things for that reason, you Let's know? Let's hope so. And, and, and I, would, I would break the 5K rule. I would allow golf and tennis and outdoor sports because that's a massive de-stressor for people. And again, no evidence of any kind that golf and tennis is spreading the virus, you know? Yeah. So I'd be using science. But the disappointing thing is not using enough science to inform this decision-making. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, from from my point of view um, and from from the world that our business is in, um, you know, our space is very much being on sites and building sites. And yeah, yeah. It's been really frustrating for us and for our clients. And it has a massive yeah. domino effect. I mean, it's just mental health problems all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just insane. I mean, I, I just like like that. It frustrates me when I was in a petrol stop shop this morning and I, I see how reckless that. people yeah. are. And I yeah. have visited sites pre-lockdown and everyone was so careful. Yeah. So it's just, it is very it seems tough unfair. Well. I think it's mm. tough on the government slightly as well because they have to make a call on these things and and they're often acting in a bit of a vacuum with not enough data, so they have to make a judgment, yeah. you know. So I think, um, you know, the fact that, uh, as we know, like, look, look at the tourist side, the, the hospitality sector, that's on its knees now, you know, and, and some of that may never come back, you know. Yeah. They've got to think of ways to deal with these things you've just been saying, especially certain sectors which are really suffering. I've no doubt they should try to, you know, move in the direction. But remember, as I keep saying, and like a broken record, uh, it's the vaccine gets us out of all this. So, so as soon as we get those counts down, yeah, bring it on, and and then then they can start making these decisions in, in a way that won't, you know, compromise them in a sense. You know, so that, that's that's always in the back of my mind. And what are your views, um, Luke, on all the the recent protests in the city centre? That's symptomatic of how fed up people are. Remember, and, and you do yes. get this thing called pandemic fatigue. It's well known, actually, in other pandemics. Mm. Now, our knowledge of pandemics is mainly in Africa, things like Ebola. 
where they lock they, and they've locked down for Ebola, they've locked down for cholera in Africa. After two or three months, people are sick to death of it, you know, and they begin to behave in a certain way, including mm-hmm. protesting and getting out and all that. And then if you combine that with anger, and people are very angry in certain parts of our mm-hmm. society for, for, for good reason, you know, there are going to be these protests. So so we have to expect them. I mean, as long as they're safe in that there's good distancing and mask wearing and all that kind of thing, because that'll just hold us back. If, I mean, if a protest continues the spread of the virus, that helps nobody. Yes. Um, and then, of course, if they become violent, that's absolutely horrendous. There should, there should never be violence in these situations. Not either. at all. And there is a lot of aggression. Like, for example, what happened to you recently? Uh, on- well, absolutely. That's right. Look, luckily, it's mercifully rare. But mind My goodness. You, but, uh, but that was a surprise, yeah, and mm. um, I expect that to happen to me. But uh, but I guess you got to expect a bit of it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, this sounds maybe Martin Luther King-ish, but, but I mean, I, I have sympathy for people as well, you of know. Of course. And, and pe- people are being driven to distraction by this now. And all you can do then really, and it's the government's job, of course, is to keep people steady in a sense. Yeah, yeah? it's not easy. Definitely not easy. I actually pity everyone. I see it. I, I don't really understand all of it really well. I, I just, I'm just trying to keep up. I'd say like a lot of people are. Yeah. yeah. But I think the overall feeling is I do have great compassion for everyone on all sides. I, I see, yeah. I feel sorry for the government. I feel sorry for the HSE. I feel sorry for everyone that's in lockdown. It's just a horrendous situation that we're all in. That's right. And, yeah. you know, yeah. everyone's walking on eggshells and trying to do the right thing. So, you know, you're down if you oh, yeah. do and you're down if you don't. Are and, and it has revealed inequalities in our society because, mm. as, as was predicted at the very start, all pandemics always do that. By the way, it's always the poor who suffer the most in a pandemic. You know, yeah. So, and, and and what there is massive d- division now in a sense because people who haven't worked for a year and on the PUP compare that to someone remote working for Google who have hardly been affected financially anyway. You know, that's so hopes, true. And aspirations haven't really. I mean, okay, they want to go on holidays and stuff, but but in general terms, there's such a contrast between those two, isn't yeah. there? There really is. And thank God the PUP is there, remember, because you can imagine if that wasn't there. I know. It'd be much worse, And look, do you think climate change is a bigger disaster than COVID-19? Well, that's the big elephant in the room. There's no question. And and, and I saw a great cartoon of a, a guy looking in a microscope and seeing the virus and going, oh, this is COVID. And behind him is a massive elephant looking at him. You know, this kind of thing. So, well, I mean, that's a real worry for the future. Mm. Obviously, it, 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 it's got to be the next big scientific challenge, of course, is to come up with a solution to this. And again, science will get us out of that mess as well. Watch. But yeah. there's no doubt it's a big concern. And all the evidence suggests it's a huge problem that's that's growing, you know. Yes. Yes. Well, it's it's just how we cope with it. I mean, what would we do without all you scientists? Well, the trouble is, you see, we we we've got we've got humanity is a funny old thing, and you know? we 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 have the ability to do certain things and we don't do it, you know, or we ignore mm-hmm. it, or we hope it's going to go away. Remember, and that's been a big part of this. A lot of the anger and sort of frustration is party denial. Remember, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, the worst argument you ever had of your life is if someone tells you something that you know is true and you try and deny it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Defend yourself aggressively. So, so it's like that in a way, you know? Yes. It's, it's, it's going on as well. The, the human psychology aspect to this is is uh, an extremely important part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And do scientists always agree or do you find you disagree or? Well, we disagree a huge amount behind closed doors, remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's happened as well people have seen kind of how science works science is not perfect you know mm-hmm. i mean science is something discover stuff that's wrong or 
and overemphasizing certain parts of some study somewhere, you know. But the great thing about science is it's all, it eventually reveals the truth, you know, ultimately, you know. Yes. Like, I, I've got conferences, and I, I'm disappointed if someone isn't digging into me, saying, I don't believe that bit of data, or I've got different data to you, or have you thought about this, you know. That's mm-hmm. part of the scientific process. It's supposed yes. to be combative, if I can use that word, but in a very polite way, remember. Um, the, the, it's interesting, this question, I mean, because if, if, if a scientific debate becomes aggressive, know what I mean with that? I say people shouting, mm-hmm. then you lose the truth entirely because it blinkers people's minds and you can't get to the truth if there's the nastiness, you know? Yes. And, and that's why in scientific debate, it's supposed to be always meant to be moderate, you know, because you won't get to the truth otherwise. Yes. And, and things held back. All the, science, all the scientists want is to get to the truth and discover something that's real and is useful, you know? So, And the trouble is with, with this COVID business, once it goes into the Twitter sphere, it becomes nasty and that doesn't anybody, you know? That's for sure. So, Luke, here's the million-dollar question. Are you ready? I am. <laughs> if there was no Neffet... And there was no government, and it was 100% up to you to decide how to handle the crisis. What right. would you do? Oh, now that's a very mean question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I would do is I would, I would, I would go on a flight to Mallorca. And I'd come back. Now, um, <laughs> I love it. Well, um, what would I do? I would invest a huge amount of money. That's the first thing, which is going to be tough. I'd borrow as much money as I can borrow. Mm-hmm. And I would put the money into a few things. Number one, I'd increase the number of public health doctors and nurses by at least fivefold. That's the first thing, right? Because they're the ones who will help us hugely through the next few months, right? And employ them in all kinds of ways, uh, in the community, helping people, uh, contact tracing. I'd ramp that up hugely to make sure we can have a really slick way to contact trace and eliminate the virus through contact tracing. So that's that's one thing. The second thing I would do is definitely get more vaccine in and deploy it as quickly as I physically can. Uh, the fact that uh, Netanyahu had 17 separate meetings with the head of Pfizer in November to convince him to give him 11 million doses, you know. So so deals can be done. I'd be, I'd be pushing for more vaccine from wherever I can get it is the second thing I would try to do. Um, and then beyond that, then, I would just make sure the messaging is really carefully handled, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and mainly to keep people on side, be transparent with them, treat them like adults, you know, mm-hmm. explain why it is the construction isn't open, you know, all those sorts of things. I'd be doing that, you know, as well. The information thing should, should be much more clear. Effective. Do you think that's a weak point, the communication? It's been mixed, definitely. And we all know this, don't we? You know, and it's yes. got slightly better in the last few weeks, I'd say. But there was a period when it was just awful with them, all the different ministers appearing in the media saying different things. I mean, that's disastrous, you know? Totally. I think the most important thing there is you want to be fully transparent with people. You want to give them the information as best as best you can. And then you also want to say, this is the way out of this. You know, this, yeah. this, is, this is the plan. Because if we, if we fear we're being like run around, like, you know, with, with no leadership and no clear plan that's the worst thing for human health remember that's the worst thing for for, for mental health rather you know yeah because that really disturbs you but what the, the most disturbing thing for mental health is a sense of lack of control and a sense of we're, we're not going anywhere you know a sense of we're stuck and there's all these unknowns that's extremely stressful for people you see so now again they've, they've done a reasonable job and i wouldn't be completely negative towards them but but i think in, especially in the next three to six months that's got to be really good very good. Gosh, let's let's hope so because it's just been like we've been sitting on a roller coaster with no seatbelts on for the last few weeks. Exactly, and no mask. Yeah, well. and no masks. <laughs> exactly. And um, tell me, do your students want you to give them your what your autograph in Trinity? Well, there aren't many in here. You see, they're all they're all uh, they're all. 
they're all working remotely. You know, they don't see many students. That's so true. Yes, of I, course. I, I, I would have the odd uh, when I'm walking down the street. Mm-hmm. A request for a selfie here and there, that kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> amazing! I love it. I hope you have your your face masks on. Oh God, I do. I do. <laughs> That's a bit of a disconcert. And I always say yes. It's quite. It's always, and it's normally oh, yeah. someone like, like a, a young person saying, "Oh, my grandmother." Oh, I know. I know. Of course. Kind of thing, you know? So I'm very That's happy. That's so do. sweet. And do you really look forward to the colleges opening up again, Luke? And, and oh, being I able do. To, yeah. Good, good. Good God! I think we're all on the same page. Don't yeah. 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 We all, yeah. We all want to begin to bring things back again for all the reasons that we know are obvious. But uh, you can't. You can't educate students. Uh, by Zoom, let's, let's let's have that for definite. You know, you need you need we all need human contact at every level, don't we? So, so I think that the sooner we can get those back, the better. I I was reading about um your incredible story about how you recently sold Inflazone, the company you founded yes. with with uh, Professor Matt Cooper. It's incredible. Can you share some of that story with me? Well, you can imagine what the year has been like for me. I mean, that 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 was happening anyway. You know, it's incredible that that that's all happened at the same time. And it was, yeah. You know, Three buses have come along. I was, but but that was oh, that was a great one. So I'd been working on them. Now my my main research interest, as I've said before, is inflammatory diseases. Mm-hmm. So I've worked on things like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, which actually yeah. are inflammatory as well because your brain gets inflamed and specific parts get destroyed by the inflammatory process. You know, and then of course COVID is another inflammatory disease. So I've worked on those for donkeys years, thirty years of effort really. And then in twenty ten, I made a discovery in my lab in trinity which suggested that we could maybe develop a brand new anti-inflammatory that could have use across multiple diseases and it targets a specific part of the immune system which has the name nlrp3 these names are atrocious but that's what it's called and that turns out to be a master on switch for inflammation anywhere in the body you know Wow. And then we discovered a drug to block it. It's tremendous, you know. And, and that drug was actually discovered by Pfizer. By coincidence, they're all over the news now. But Pfizer had a big inflammation program. And then they kind of dropped it and they couldn't develop it. And we made a better version of the Pfizer drug, actually. And then the big question is, what do you do next? I mean, you, you need to raise a huge amount of money. Arlene, to do a clinical trial, like a single trial costs $300 million, for instance, you know. Oh, my gosh. You can't get that money off a bank or off venture capital even won't give you that much, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go to the big, big drug companies because they've got deep pockets. And so we go on the road. We, we make presentations. It went on for a year. I must have made a thousand presentations. Yeah. I presented to every single drug company in the world, incredibly. And finally, Roche were the one who, who said, yeah, we love you. They, they took it in and, and they bought us there. And that meant money came in for the investors. They'd invested over 50 million, remember, in this company wow. at risk, you see. Mm-hmm. So the money came in and then we all got a share. I'm not denying I, I did reasonably well myself, but but so did Trinity because Trinity was a shareholder because it came out of my lab, you know. Wow. Yeah, the, but the big thrill, I mean, there's now six clinical trials running for that for our drugs in Roche. They're doing these diseases. They're just starting, you know, so it's tremendous now because it really, um, really, really, really find out if this drug will work for these diseases, whether there's a massive need, you know. NLR3P. NLRP3 is a horrible name, isn't it? It's very cool. It was and- coined, coined by a Swiss guy in Lausanne who I knew very well. He discovered it, actually. He discovered it. And it's, it's, it's very simply, it's a protein in the immune system that goes mm. crazy. That's all it is, really. Isn't it? Wow. How amazing is that? And then you also published a children's book called The Great Irish Science Book. I did. That was my, that was another thrill. Yeah, that, that was about two years ago now. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, Fielding they, they little minds with knowledge. It's lovely. Well, 
Well, they asked me, they said, oh, listen, I'd, I'd done a book called Humanology. That was my first book with Gil. Mm-hmm. And that, that sold quite well, and they liked it, you know. And that, that was the science of being human. And then they said, what about doing a science book for kids? And I said, that's a bit tricky, you know, because I've never written for that age group before. And they said, oh, look, uh, there's no Irish science book. There's loads of science books for kids, obviously, but uh, there was none with an Irish sort of uh, angle. Now, the Irish angle is all the examples I give are Ireland, you know. So the geology chapter to Giant's Causeway, things like that, you know. And then I mentioned all these Irish scientists. And then, yeah, it came out. It was fantastic, to be honest. A great, great illustrator, Linda Farland, was my great compadre. She was brilliant doing all the drawings. You know, it was a real thrill, actually, to see the book come together. So it was a, that was a really nice one. And then, yeah, it, it sold well. So Gil were happy. Excellent. And it was a huge reaction, even before COVID. There's experiments in it, you see, for kids sitting in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So several parents were complaining to me. They wrecked my kitchen. I said, great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Great. And so then also tell me about your band, The Metabolics. Are you guys still gigging on Zoom? Sadly, it's tough now. No more than that now. <laughs> you know, it's been a bit hard. We did get to, to, to play, though. We played um, uh, two, uh, four songs. I did a podcast with Brezzy, right? Mm-hmm. And he got me to play a few songs to put in the podcast. And so the band got back together again for that session. Mm-hmm. And then we played uh, just before Christmas Day, it's like the 20, 20 of December, the Irish College of General Practitioners. All 2,000 of them had their special Christmas online party and we played for them. Wasn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But we are missing it, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I, now, two of the guys in the band are professional musicians, right? We're right. not stupid. We're mm-hmm. not stupid. We bring in two good guys to help us. They haven't worked in months, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so they're desperate to do gigs again. So let's hope. Let's hope we can do a gig soon. So, wh- what do you like at home? Tell me a little bit about you. Are you like a super duper organized person? Or are you um, relaxed at home? You'd need you'd, you'd need to come in and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> Am I organized? No, I, I wouldn't say so. No, I, I do like to. To, to loosen up a bit, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, no, I like, I, I do like, uh, I do like to lounge, let's put it mm-hmm. that way, you know, and I do like to, to hang out and stuff. So, but I, 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 do, I quite like a tidy house, I must admit, though. Yeah. You like I, I can't sit in a room if, the, if it's a bit untidy. Yeah, I'm like that too. I, I feel more kind of in, con- not in control, but I feel once everything is organized around me that I can kind of relax then. It's a strange trait. It's a, probably a weakness on both our behalf. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Totally. Um, and how did you and Margaret meet each other? I believe she's a scientist as well. She is indeed. Yeah, so she... Um, it's an interesting story. So she was, a, she's, uh, if I dare disclose this, she's slightly older than me, right? Mm-hmm. So I never met her in Trinity. She, she did biochemistry in Trinity as well. But mm-hmm. by the time I had graduated, she'd, lost, she'd left, you know. Then she went to Cambridge to do a PhD. Oh. And then she went to Australia. By the, no, I didn't know her in this time frame. Okay. By the time she was in Australia, I was in Cambridge, you know. So, so we missed each other. <sighs> and then I came back to Ireland. I got a job in Trinity as a lecturer. And she had a job back in Ireland. And then we met, you know. So we, we met in the biochemistry department, actually. Um, our eyes met across the test tube. <laughs> That's great. I love it. And, um, and both your sons are scientists. They are, yeah, incredibly, yeah. So Stevie, he's doing a PhD. He's doing a PhD in chemistry in Cambridge, Mm -hmm. which is pretty good. He's following in our footsteps in a way. It's like the family business. It's not unusual for, you know, the carpenter's son to become a carpenter. Yeah. my other studies doing physics actually in Trinity's in third year, so they they both found the science. They may not stick with it. You never know. But uh, how cool is that? Well, my younger son is a big muso now. He's in a band. He writes songs. And stuff. There so you maybe, go. maybe he'll be on the musical path. 
Yeah. The old apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. There you go. He likes his music. He does. He loves it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the influence, isn't it? I suppose of parents, they, they can't escape our influence in a way, you know? Yeah. And, and what do you, what, like, how would you, you guys unwind in the evenings? Yeah, uh, I'd say maybe two bottles of wine to get things going. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. We like our tip on that again. Um, I guess, you know, I hate to admit to watching TV, we're all stuck in that loop, aren't we? You can't yeah. be a good movie on Netflix, can you? So so that's a great way to unwind, I think. And then music, me, me and Sam will play together, my son, we'll sometimes jam. You know, cool to play a bit of music together. So that's another thing we do. My wife is an avid golfer and tennis player, so she's in bits at the moment because, for obvious reasons, there's no golf and tennis. So that's very hard on her because that's her big, that's her big, uh, her big hobby, really. You know, so uh, she's uh-huh. longing for those things to restart in many ways. And I don't play those at all. So we don't, so we separate. I have no interest in sport, really, to be honest. You know, so we kind of we we have our own little lives going as well. Excellent. And if you guys could go on a family holiday tomorrow, where would it be? Oh God! Well, now, you know, <laughs> go on a cruise—that'd be great, wouldn't it? Just to go from place to place, and you know, I've never been on a cruise. What are they like? Cruise ships? Great. Yeah, we did it. We did one actually. Uh, me, me and Margie about a year ago. Yeah, we went to Alaska. I was in America. I did a sabbatical last year in Stanford for a few months. You know, yeah. and then we 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 made the most of that, and I went up to Alaska on a, on a, on a cruise. So it was brilliant. Yeah, excellent. I think they could be dangerous, though. I mean, with all the buffets and the the open bars and i, I just well, can't even imagine you know when you see footage of say cheltenham races this time last year your yes. skin falls doesn't it you know oh, god how can yeah. all, those, all those people be together you know i know and given the outbreaks on cruises they're going to be a while coming back i mean i, I hear they're gonna, i hear there's several cruises planned in america and they've been sold out within a minute by people who've been vaccinated you know because i know i know i know it's funny now your that is actually so true when somebody sneezes now you're kind of like you're yeah. you're noticing <laughs> We do. And um, it'll take a while to get over that. This, this will hurt for, for a while, this, you know. Yeah. I think we're all going to be like, uh, you know, we've all been beaten up, basically, you know. True. And, and it's going to take a while to readapt and, and get, and that, that, that'll be another challenge. Watch anyway. When we do reopen, there'll be reluctance and, and people will be a bit more reclusive. We've got to get them back out. You know, we, we've got to try to encourage people back out to do to go back to the lives they had. You know, it's going to be very important. And can I ask you a question? Uh, and I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. But are you a spiritual person? Um, I wouldn't use the word spiritual, but but mm-hmm. I I do I do have a sense of something beyond us. Let's put it that way. You okay, know? that's interesting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, um, like I don't believe in a god per se, and I wouldn't be praying and stuff, you know, but to any god. But uh, but I do have a sense of something else. Yeah, it's hard to put my finger on it. It could be partly to do with transcendence is the word I would use. In other words, when I play music, that's a transcendent event, you know. And there's something funny going on there. I can't put my finger on it. You could call it spirituality, maybe is one name for it. But uh, so I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not a complete atheist like many of my scientific uh, friends would be. You know. Yes. Yeah, but there is something out there. Gosh, I didn't. I didn't actually uh, think you'd say that. But that. That's an interesting answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got. I've got respect <laughs> for it as well. I mean, several of my friends who are scientists are very devout. You know. Yeah. And I, I never dismiss it because it's whatever gets you through the night territory. You know. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. And and what have you learned about yourself the most during the the lockdown? What have you learned about yourself personally the most during the lockdown? Good Lord. There's a there's a deep question. I don't <laughs> have to think about that one for a minute. What have I learned about myself? Hmm. I think I've learned adaptability in a sense because I used to travel a huge amount, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I was on the road a third of the time trying to flog the company was one example, you know, but equally uh, visiting universities or conferences. Science is extremely sociable, remember. We go to loads of conferences and, yes. and I was asked to give loads of talks in conferences and so on. So I was often on the road, you know, and that came to an abrupt halt this time last year, didn't it? Yes. And I wasn't sure how I'd cope with that. I thought, geez, I'm at home now all the time, you know. And yet I think I've, I've probably done all right in the face of that, that cut in travel. Although, although I suspect I'm going to break soon, you know, <laughs> I'll be running for the hills. But I was able to adapt a bit, I suppose. That's something I learned. And, and maybe I, I wasn't quite so so confident I would, but, but I was still able to, to sort of get by. I guess the big distraction, though, has been all the media stuff. Obviously, that's that's a new thing in my life. Yeah. So that's like a replace to travel it away, you know? And who's inspired you the most in your career? Oh, in my whole career? Yes. You mean in general? Yes, well, in general. Um, oh, I had some, again, great mentors. Yes, and, who are they? In fact, when I was in Cambridge, uh, I, I worked in Cambridge, you see, after I got my PhD. And my, my boss there was a guy called Jerry Sacklaval. He was a brilliant scientist, you know, with huge exacting standards. So I kind of hopefully learned from him how to be a good scientist, you know. So he was a, he was a big inspiration. And then a guy called Charles DiNarillo, who was in, he's in Colorado, actually, is, is where he works. He was a huge influence on me. He, he got me into the whole NLRP3 business, ultimately, actually. So the part of inflammation I work on, he was the founding father of that field. And, and he was always very supportive to all us junior people, you know. So I always mention him as a key influence. Yeah. And and can I ask you, uh, just on a side, a side question, what your feelings were about Bill Gates' prediction at the time? Well, yes, it was pretty, very perspicacious, if that's the word, wasn't it? It was incredible. Mm -hmm. There were several people predicting this in a way, you know. And we ignored them. I mean, I've got a famous paper, actually, which has done the rounds in immunology from three years ago, saying it will be a coronavirus. It will jump from a bat into a human. It will cause a global pandemic. Like it's almost like, like uh, Nostradamus territory. You know? yeah. So, yeah. yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah, so so that, that was going on. These predictions, were, we, we used to just not listen to them and say, oh, don't be, don't be ridiculous kind of thing. You know, it's too random. You know, it's hard to predict that kind of thing. But but that, that's exactly, I mean, these predictions tragically came true. Absolutely. And then there's all these insane, you know, conspiracy theories. I'm sure you've heard most of them. Indeed, I have. But they've been kicking around for donkey's years. And you what know. do you think? Do you think? Well, again, it's 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 a symptom of the human condition, isn't it? Let's face it. The people yeah. are going to be like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they're just. They're just uh... But again, the reason why we invented science was to counter that stuff. Mm-hmm. Science was invented in the 1600s, really, as part of the Enlightenment, as a way to counter stuff that wasn't true, you know? And in other words, here's the evidence. Now, there you have it. You can choose to believe that or not. If it's your choice not to believe it, that's up to you, you know? Yes. So the, whole, the whole job of science is to lay out evidence. And, uh, you know, the famous example we have about the Royal Society, which is the world's oldest scientific society, their motto in 1660 is, is take nobody's word. That's the motto. And that exactly captures what science is about. So, so if someone has a conspiracy theory, I would say, well, show me the evidence. Now, if they produce it, I've got to change my tune and go, maybe there is something in this, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but the truth is, there's no evidence for all those conspiracy theories. That's good to know. That's really good to know, especially coming from you, Luke. That's good to know. And like I said at the very beginning, before we started recording, my, my husband's German, and he really um, is very careful about who he takes, you know, any kind of news from. And anytime you're on the, on the television, he'll turn up the volume. So very that's good. a huge compliment to you. That sounds like a huge one. I'm very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is my final question for you. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't listen to guys in their 50s. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
what would I give as a piece of advice to my younger self? Don't yeah. be worrying. Don't be worrying too much. Okay. You know? I think when we're in our twenties, we're, we're very het up, aren't we? You know, and we we take things far too seriously. You know, and we worry about our our path through life and all that sorts of things. You know, so try not to worry. You know, because everything will work out fine. That'll be the advice I get. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you what's called separately. It's called the quick fire round of questions. Are you ready? I am. Go on. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Red wine or white wine? Red. Staycation or holidays abroad? Holidays abroad. <laughs> hard copy books or digital? Oh, hard copy. Sit in lectures or online lectures? Sit in lectures. Immunology or biochemistry? Immunology. Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson? Oh, that's controversial <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> both. I'm not going to answer that one. because. <laughs> Good. Writing or inventing? Oh, uh, inventing. Virtue or sin? Sin. Ele- electric picnic or Glastonbury? Oh, electric picnic, my favorite. <laughs> radio or TV? Uh, radio. Rock or classic? Rock. Glass half empty or glass half full? Oh, well, it depends on if you're an engineer, there's too much glass for the water. Uh, glass half full, of course. And my final one is 2021 or 2022? 2021. Let's just keep going. Keep on rocking forward. We'll get through this. Well, listen, thank you so very much for being my guest today on Shut the Front Door. And I've absolutely loved chatting to you. And I wish you and your family all the best. Great. Thanks very much, Elena. It's very enjoyable. Thanks. You take care. (laughs) 